Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. We are joined today by my very special guest, Phoenix. And Phoenix is the upcoming Anusa Clubs officer. And this is a new role that essentially places them at the helm of directing the ANU's cultural and social life. Previously, she was the Interhall Arts Committee President, the Fenner Vice President and Master of Arts, Anusa General Representative, Deputy Education Officer, and on the Ethical Sponsorships Committee. Phoenix's pronouns are she, they. Phoenix, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Elvis. I'm really excited. This is cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a pleasure to have you. So, Fee, you're essentially stepping into an entirely new role as the Anusa Clubs officer. It, it, for those of you who don't know, it takes the old social officer role. And from what I understand, some of the club organizing that's currently done by the club's council. But I wanted to get it from your perspective. So could you tell me a little bit about what you see the role being and what you see yeah, yourself absolutely doing? Yeah, absolutely, I can. Um, so this merger, which um, I kind of just stepped into, definitely not my own work, merging the roles, is kind of a merger between um, the social officer's role, which is, you know, the kind of big events, O-Week, Bush Week, Friday Night Party, all of those things, and um, a role called the club's chair of the club's council. So they're the kind of head of the club's council. They oversee it, um, particularly overseeing the club's council executive and their kind of vision for that council. And it made both of those roles into one, um, particularly because the social officer is kind of known to have, rather than a consistent workload throughout the entire year, like the rest of the UNUSA executive, they have uh, really high peaks, but like really, really low valleys I suppose and this is meant to sort of um, even out the workload throughout the year so that in those times when I'm not organizing you know a week bush week Friday night party there's there's something for my role to do as well as um, compensating the club's council chair which is currently an uncompensated position and requires a lot of volunteer hours. Perfect and I definitely think it's a good thing to have some kind of overlap here because they're both roles that are deeply ingrained in the social life and the, the cultural life of, of students. And culturally, that was where I wanted to start because personally, I came to the ANU at an interesting time where Union Court was um, en route to be demolished. And so we went from the Union Court to the pop-up village and now the, the recent Cambry redevelopments. And just from me coming in the pack of an older generation of students, I think there's a certain nostalgia for Union Court because of institutions like the, the ANU bar, for instance, that gave the university a, a stronger cultural identity. And I've heard a lot of people criticize Cambry for being sterile and, and a bit lifeless and a bit corporate, uh, which to, to an extent I agree with, but I also think it's a little unfair because it's a new structure and it does take some time to establish a, a culture in a new space. With yourself coming in, really helming and, and commandeering the new cultural direction for Cambry. What do you think it's going to take to, to build an identity and, and build a culture in this new space? Yeah, um, I think that's really an interesting question. For reference, I was definitely first generation of Cambry students. I moved into New Fenner in the first year that it opened. So definitely like in the heart of Cambry, the first year it was really open. Um, the only kind of reference I have from before is briefly vis visiting the pop-up village on open day. But yeah, I'm not super exposed to those kinds of things. Um, and on top of that, I'm also coming into the role off of the back of two years of COVID. 
So um, Cambry hasn't really been given any chance. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have some um, opinions on Cambry as well. Like, listen, um, I think that um, from my understanding, a lot of the student feedback wasn't really gearing towards what Cambry became. You know, it's, it originally wasn't really a student focused or student led space. It very much feels like, um, you know, those kind of the, the suits who come in for lunch every single day. It felt more geared towards the public than students. I remember Badger being so expensive at the beginning, though I actually think that they've kind of introduced some student deals and lowered some of their prices to make it more appealing to us. Um, but the only place that any fan of residence would really go at the beginning of my first year was Kababa consistently. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that Cambry has its flaws, but I also think that um, I kind of view both Cambry and coming back of like coming off the back of COVID as a way to kind of reevaluate the ANU social culture um, and try to reinvent it in a way that perhaps wasn't really possible before just because we were quite like, you know, I don't want to say entrenched in tradition because tradition has its place and tradition is great. Um, but it really gives an opportunity to kind of start over and think about, you know, what did we do before that we miss and that was really good? But what are the parts that our nostalgia lenses kind of don't really let us see? Because I remember throughout my whole first year, you know, a lot of people talk about old Benner very consistently and with a lot of nostalgia and love um, and a bit of disdain for new building, which I understand because the new building has so many issues. You know, Cambry not only has some cultural issues, but it also has, I think, some um, maintenance issues and building issues. And I totally understand that. But also some near the end of the year, I also heard some residents talking about, you know, um, some cultural improvements at Benard that I think I wasn't privy to because people, yeah, sometimes had nostalgia lens, like goggles on, I guess. What do you think concretely you're looking to do to, I suppose, build back better? Is it going to be events that will revitalize the space? Is it going to be just thinking about the space differently? Is it going to be cutting red tape so more clubs can interact in the space? I'm curious to hear like concretely what kinds of things you would do to make that, um, I suppose that that culture that we want it to become. Yeah, definitely. I think that just needs to be um, more going on in that kind of area, both in Cambry and in the areas surrounding Cambry, like Fellows and Chifley Meadows. Um, I think that, you know, there's already been a lot of push for more club involvement in Cambry um, originally, and I might be a little incorrect about this, but I believe originally a lot of clubs were being charged for using, for example, theatre spaces in Cambry, but that kind of thing um, has been negotiated and I think it's it's doing a lot better nowadays. I definitely think having more club presence and more events presence in Cambry is the way to go and that's what I'd really like to do. Um, particularly, you know, um, the Brian Kenyon student space, Anusa's space, which is pretty underutilized, having that actually be a place where students uh, feel as accessible. And I think, I really do think that events and clubs are at the heart of that if we start using that space in a way that students actually want to come to that space. Um, it kind of completely changes the way that we think about somewhere. There's a difficulty you might run into here because to my knowledge, the ANU's budget is, is not looking particularly nice at the moment. And I suppose idealistically, it would be great to have these cultural spaces free for student clubs and societies to, to use as they, they will. I could really imagine a lot being done with Ambush, for instance, if there was a really low barrier to entry to use Ambush as a, as a space. I know personally, I've been wanting to do 
um, some events there, but it's the, the cost of, of hiring Canterbury, even as a student, can be um, a little bit inaccessible. Do you think that is going to be a real difficulty in revitalizing the space because the ANU might not want to drop those prices as much as you would need to have a really thriving campus community? Um, I do think so. I definitely think that prices are a huge barrier. Um, and I kind of, from my perspective, that's where a new can really come in and help out. Um, we already have the BKSS there, but as I'm sure you would already know, um, a huge part of the ticket that I ran on like kind of focus was setting up a night cafe and that would be in the middle of Cambry and that would be free of charge for students and clubs to use for their events, which is obviously a bit of a different vibe to ambush, that's for sure. Um, but that would be kind of two student spaces that would be completely free of charge to use in Cambry, as well as hopefully things like the lawns. Um, also, if you're a club underneath Anusa, there are like a myriad of grants that are available. And, you know, I did run on, I would ideally love to increase clubs funding. I don't have an answer for if I'm going to be able to do that or not yet, but um, I think that student-led organizations and student-led spaces are really the way forward here. Um, I don't want to say, you know, you can't trust the ANU or you can't trust Cambry. Like a lot of th those stakeholders also gain a lot, right, from students using these student spaces and benefiting from it. Um, so I definitely think there's nothing negative to be said there, but more so that it's the student-led bodies and groups that really know what student wants, uh, what students want. And by having more free spaces and more things that are driven by us, um, we can definitely get somewhere with cultural change and with Cambry. And I think the bringing, bringing in that idea of the, the night cafe, it's unique in the sense that it is almost an evening venue that's on, on campus. And it's an evening venue that could, like, if it's a night cafe, realistically extend quite late. I'm curious to think, do you realistically see um, late night music events and, and late night parties happening in Cambry? And I wonder, with the residential hall of, of Fenner being so close, if you're going to run into any issues having a late night venue right next to a res hall? Yeah, definitely. Like, listen, um, from my understanding, a lot of the death of ANU Bar was it being relocated to be right underneath Lodge. And I can't blame residents for that. You, you want sleep. Um, I definitely also know that Cambry on the lawns has been the bane of some Fenner residents' existences for a while. Um, what I think it's about, though, is like collaboration and um, communication. I think a lot of Fenner residents, you know, um, if something isn't told to them beforehand and somebody just starts using a power drill in the middle of Cambry without telling anyone in the middle of the night, not that that's coming from any personal experience, it can really keep you up. Um, but if the night cafe, you know, is made in consultation with not only Fenner's head of hall, but um, next year's Fenner president and all of the residents, I think that there can be a lot of, you know, room to negotiate and room to, um, yeah, make some positive change, especially if, you know, if Fenner wants to use that space, it could be really beneficial because Fenner was built being told that we could use all of these spaces in Cambry for free. And that's why we didn't have any common areas or any big common areas. And then, you know, we we get there and it turns out we can't use anything for free, right? Having a free student space is, in my opinion, um, beneficial yeah. to Fenner. And, and talking about going out, talking about parties, I recall one of your policies was to make Friday night party profitable. And 
I've hosted events myself and I've hosted events where, you know, I've, I've lost a substantial amount of, of personal money because I'm wanting to have that production quality of that event to be really high. And, and I'm quite happy taking a bit of a, a cost on myself to make sure that is a, a spectacular party. And I'm curious just from, from one event organizer to another, how do you see Friday night party being profitable without skimping on the production quality? Yeah. Um, I listen, I obviously can't get too much into, you know, the specific financial details or any of the um, kind of confidential planning that I'm doing right now, but Friday night party has been profitable in the past. It was actually, you know, only a few years ago, um, a huge avenue for Anusa to raise money. And then in recent years, it's slightly started to drop off. Um, the one that was held in the Botanical Gardens, I believe, lost some money. Last year's one um, lost a bit of money in exchange for making things more accessible, like um, more accessible lighting um, and safety measures. So I definitely think, you know, there is a balancing act, but if we've seen in the past that it can be um, profitable, I think that it's it's not unheard of to say that it can be again. Um, I actually do think that increasing production quality comes with making it a bit more profitable in the case of Friday Night Party in specific, because, you know, um, we're going to make more ticket sales if it has a good reputation. And therefore, the good reputation means that we can get good bands, popular bands with students. Um, I think that to think that we were decreasing the quality of the events in order to make more of a profit would be a bit foolish on my half. I think it's more about doing everything that I can to make it an event that students want to be at. Um, that's more of the importance in making it profitable, um, as well as, you know, a few things like considering moving it out of O-Week, especially um, that one's more about safety concerns as well, because people, you know, first years are brand new to the uni. They might not have a great grasp on responsible drinking culture. They might not know the people that they're coming with yet. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's about balancing safety, quality, um, and financials, but I think it's very possible. And I think um, one factor that really comes to mind there is, is COVID and capacity limits. More generally, do you see um, events and, and the social life of campus moving strongly towards in-person uh, or are you inclined to still say that online events will be dominant throughout your term? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think some of this is going to have to, unfortunately, some of this is outside of my control. Um, I definitely think that I'm going to need to have a plan B for a lot of my big events, just in case um, something happens, just in case the capacity limits can't be as big. Um, I'm really lucky that, so one of the Anusa staff members is a community life manager called Erin. Um, she is a, just, just a godsend. Um, she worked really closely with previously the social officer and in my term, the clubs officer. Um, on these kinds of large events. So she has experience with running Friday night party um, and she has experience with running a just, just before COVID Friday night party kind of thing. So she knows how the event is run and provides kind of that institutional knowledge um, that's unfortunately I don't necessarily have as much. Sorry, that was kind of more answering the previous question, I think. Um, more on to COVID, I definitely want to be way more um, outdoors. I definitely want in-person events back. Um, it depends on a few things. For example, like the, the uptake of international students returning, I think is a really important factor. Um, and how many students decide to remain remote versus um, coming back on campus. But I personally think that I see a lot of 
excitement for things to be back in person. I think people want to leave the last two years in the past. Um, they want to move on. They want to have what they had before back and they kind of want it, you know, bigger and better than ever. Um, and I would really, really love to provide that, especially, you know, with the staple events like um, Friday night party, market day, a week. Um, but that doesn't mean that online events are completely out the window. Um, definitely, again, dependent on how many students remain remote. Um, I definitely struggled a lot this year with capacity limits. You know, we were trying to organize on IAC um, a, a big night out. Um, and a lot of the capacity limits, you know, we could have it on campus, but only if people were completely seated. We were looking at indoor venues, but a lot of those had capacity limits where if you're trying to get all 10 halls together, you can only have like 50 people from each hall. And unfortunately, the lockdown ended up happening. But I really do think that with the vaccination rates as they are, we're going to be looking at um, much higher capacities. And I'm planning with that in mind, but planning with that in mind carefully. I think there's students who would say that we shouldn't be reckless and that we should just really try and keep things online even though we've got a, a really fully um pretty much completely fully vaccinated community i can imagine there would be students that would say well there are some people who can't be vaccinated and it would still be irresponsible to go ahead with um sort of any kind of of in-person event post pandemic I wonder what you would say to, to someone like that. Um, absolutely. And listen, I understand the hesitancy. COVID is really scary. Um, and even when we're double vaccinated, you know, we've seen that people who are double vaccinated can get and spread COVID. Um, I'm, again, not, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not an expert. Um, I think I would prefer to refer those people to people who perhaps know more about the disease and about the vaccine than me. Um, but if I did have to kind of ad lib an answer, I think I would say, you know, um, that's kind of the reason why I don't see entirely online events completely going out the window for people who might not feel comfortable. Um, and also, I would say that there are some people who, who are medically exempt. Um, those people are, you know, it, it's not many people, but those people are important people and people we need to think about including. And that's why the rest of us need to be getting vaccinated to keep those people, the people who are more vulnerable than some of us safe. Um, if you know, you're going to Friday night party and you are medically exempt from getting vac vaccination, but 95, 96, 97% of the other attendees at Friday night party are vaccinated. You are going to be so much safer um, than if that wasn't the case. So I think I would say to them, if you can get vaccinated, um, but we're gonna provide some alternatives. Um, yeah, that's my understanding of the situation. And so when you're doing this, you require a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge to make sure these things happen safely and in a way where everyone can get as much out of it as possible. And that is a, a real trend with students who come into Anusa. You need to stack quite a few roles on your resume to actually like get your, your foot in the door there and then keep building up. And this is a question, I think, especially coming from perhaps students who are halfway through their degree. Do you think you need to start early to get in a Noosa with being involved in student politics? Or do you think someone could realistically run for uh, some kind of executive role in a Noosa without having that uh, background of a lot of prior experience? So I think that it's a mix between the two answers. I don't think someone necessarily has to get started super duper early. 
Um, but I also do think that um, showing your experience for any kind of role that you go for is really important. Um, I myself never intended to get involved in ANUSA. Um, I kind of just fell into it. Um, in my first year, I didn't go for any leadership roles really until I had a bit of a taste of event organization and wanted to get more into organizing arts events for FENA. Um, I didn't intend to be IAC president either. Um, this, the president from the first semester of this year stepped down and I was the person I kind of, I thought that I should go for it because I trusted myself the most with the role and with making the changes to IAC that I thought it needed this year. Um, but, you know, as, as someone who's a third year going into a fourth year, that's definitely some, uh, you know, comparatively kind of young and someone who's had um, leadership experience from my second year. Um, another member of the university exec, Beatrice, is a, is a fifth year who has, you know, they're, they're the education officer and they have a lot of activism experience, but they never went into activism with the intention of becoming the Anusa education officer or went into leadership roles with that intention. Um, it was more that they were passionate about activism and when when the opportunity to run for this activist role came up, um, they took it as a dedicated activist. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that, you know, having a lot of experience behind you, especially in something like the clubs officer with event organization, it makes it makes people trust you. It makes people trust that you can do the job. Um, and it's difficult to do it without any experience. Um, I don't think anyone could do it without any experience, but I think that you can kind of get away with, not get away with, you can you can run for something um, with a multitude of different experiences, depending on the role. Cool. And just coming to the end of the interview now, I like to ask my guests a, a scenario and just kind of building off your, your last answer there, if, if you could go back to the, the start of university and, and perhaps um, even the start of last year where you had such a portfolio of roles going on at the same time, do you think you would be a little bit more selective about the extracurriculars you took on or were you happy that you accepted as many roles as you did? Um, I'm in kind of two minds about that. Like I definitely, I've enjoyed every single role that I've taken on and I've really they've been really, really valuable to me and to my university experience. Um, when I first came to university, I really struggled. Um, I have ADHD and I'm also, you know, the first in my family to go to university. So I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I really, really struggled with the academic side of things to start with. Um, and I think that this kind of leadership stuff um, has given me a lot of purpose and a lot of happiness um, at university while I've also started to enjoy my academics more. Um, but it gave me kind of a, a drive and a reason. Um, yeah, the community and the culture, participating in the events in first year is kind of what really got me there and then running them in my later years. Um, but also, I definitely think that there was a lot of stress and difficulties with time management and conflicts of interests. I think that um, for the year that I've just had, I would have told myself to be more selective. I had already tried to be. I wasn't initially on IAC exec. Um, but I have a tendency to say yes, because everything that I run into seems super cool and I want to do it all. Um, but I also need some time for myself and some time um, for my academics and for my own social life outside of um, organizing other people's social lives. So I think I would have been a little more selective, but um, ultimately I just don't regret anything. Fee, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. and. I'm never going to say wake up Fenner again. <laughs> Thank you. It's been lovely to be on this. Thanks, Elvis.
Awesome, Fee. Thank you very much.